uh, going to talk about a big topic called trust in relationships today. Um, and uh, it's going to be more than just relationships between people. We're going to talk about trust on a macro level as well, because even that affects uh, us uh, on a relational level. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, if we are able to do what the Bible says about this matter, this concept of trust, that we'll be able to actually uh, get healthy relationships, not just get our our good relationships to a real place of good health and, and, and strong, um, uh, you know, condition of strength, but even relationships that have really been hurt and that have really gone bad, uh, to be able to reestablish health in those relationships. And um, so, so the reason why we, well, here's one of the statements we make in the beginning. We say, we want the one who designed all of these things to be the one who gets to define them for us in our lives. So it's important that we look to Scripture. What does the Bible say about relationships? Often we look to media. We look to, you know, pop culture uh, to talk to us about, you know, how relationships should go and what our goals in relationships should be and, um, you know, how to conduct it. Or we look to, you know, our, uh, we look to our culture just in general and say, hey, you know, here's things that are valid ways to conduct yourself in a relationship. Um, but they're not all scriptural. And when you don't conduct your relationships according to God's word, you're not going to get the type of relationship that God has in store you know, for you, God, God planned for you. Um, there, is, there is a blessing when relationship is in unity uh, that God says he blesses it when people dwell in unity that you can never get to if you don't follow God's pattern, if you actually don't follow his advice, his ideas for relationships. So let's get into that. Today we look on trust because trust is like literally foundational to good relationships. You cannot have a strong relationship without trust. If trust is broken, it has to be restored first before the relationship can continue to grow. In fact, um, you know, your relationship is really as strong as the level of trust that there is between the two parties. So uh, we did a little survey earlier uh, in the month, and uh, some of you filled it out. Quite a few of you actually filled it out. And, um, but, we, but the results I'm showing here is more of a collective result uh, of all the campuses that we, that we asked questions of. And there was a marriage section and there was a single section. And we just wanted to hear and see where you guys are at, what, what the perspectives on the ground are, um, what the experiences on the ground are, so we can really speak into uh, the relevant topics. And our sermon topics were really based on the feedback that we got from that survey. Uh, so we chose the most prevalent issues that people needed insight on and uh, teaching on uh, to, to be preaching on. So one of the questions we had was, have you ever cheated on your spouse? And uh, man, I'm, I'm really thankful to report that above 80% said no, I've never cheated on my spouse. That's a good thing, by the way. But 17% of people said, yes, we, I have cheated on my spouse. We asked it in the inverse, have your spouse ever cheated on you? just to see if there's some correlation. And you know, sure enough, it was more or less the same. Um, about 20% said, yes, my spouse have cheated on me. And just below that, um, 80% uh, no, my, wife, my, wife, my spouse haven't cheated on me. But then we asked this question, have you ever threatened divorce in your marriage? And almost 50% of our people that are married in our church have said, yes, I have threatened divorce. I've used the threat of divorce in my marriage for whatever reason. Most often it's manipulation. It's trying to get something to go the way they want it to go. That is a concern. That is not healthy. 
And I'll tell you why in a second. Um, Listen to what society says on trust. Right now, only 40% of baby boomers believe that people can be trusted. It gets even worse the younger people get. Only 19% of millennials currently feel that people can be trusted. That means that in the millennial age group, more than 80% of people feel that you can't trust. In other words, for more than 80% of the millennial population, trust has been broken. Trust has been broken significantly to the point where they've like said, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to trust people. Um, and the reason why this is so, is so important or, or tragic really is because the, if the currency of our country is the dollar and, and where I come from is the rand, um, then the currency of relationships is trust. Trust is the currency we deal with. That is how our economic house, the household, economy of our households operate. And so it's so important that we make sure that we do good investments into everybody's relational trust fund. I think uh, um, we try to explain it that way because we understand the concepts of you know, deposits and withdrawals. And trust can be deposited through our actions, but there can also be withdrawals from that trust fund through our actions. And every time you withdraw something, it is like you're drawing with interest, but every time you put back, you're not necessarily putting back with interest. And you almost have to every time put back double in order to make up what you lost because of the withdrawal. And so it's so important that we govern ourselves, that we manage the withdrawals more than we even focusing on making deposits. But it is impeccable, oh, impeccable. It is imperative that we, make, that we make deposits of trust in our relationship. So how does that work? Well, every time, you know, you, uh, let's say for instance, every time you do something that is suspicious in a relationship, you make a withdrawal from the trust fund. Every time you do something that lines up with your partner's expectation or your friend or the other you know, uh, individual in the relationship with their expectation, you confirm trust. You make a deposit of trust in that relationship. And so we can often um, find that you know, this, this is managed well. Right, you know, yeah, there's some things that they do that I'm like, what the, you know, why are they doing that? But then there's also enough that says, okay, you know what, it's actually all good. We can just continue. Obviously, the goal is to make less withdrawals than you're making deposits, right? The goal is to grow the relationship so that it can blossom and we can thrive because out of a thriving relationship comes more life. Life produces more life. But if the relationship is struggling, you know, it kind of stagnates. And sometimes when the relationship has too many withdrawals and it gets into a deficit and the attempt to put, you know, is no longer there, then sometimes people just feel, man, it's just, it's just better for us to just close this account. Let's just not have a relationship. And that is sometimes a good idea. Sometimes it's necessary. If you don't see a person making deposits into the relationship, then why are you even in that relationship? Now that changes a little when it comes to marriage. 
because you have made a prior commitment until death do us part. So now it's an issue. Because if there is deficit in a marriage relationship, it's hard. It's hard. And it's something that you're going to have to pray through, faith through, trust through, that God will intervene on your behalf. It's going to be a journey of faith and holding on to Jesus because you're not going to get out of that relationship unless there is, you know, unrepented unfaithfulness, which is a massive withdrawal and the only biblical grounds really for what we spoke about earlier, a divorce unrepented unfaithfulness. And I'll say something about repentance in a while that shows you that unfaithfulness that's repeated is not repented of by just a mere sorry. We'll get to that. So it's important that we make sure that that we manage this well and, and, and that we don't make these withdrawals because the strength of our relationship is based on the level of our trust. How much does the person know of you and about you, your conduct, your activities, your character, and how much of that is in the open and how much of that is are they okay with, right? If you're hiding things from somebody that you haven't shared with them, they haven't said to them, then that's basically the cap of your trust. And your relationship's closeness won't grow beyond that until you can actually, you know, open that up and become transparent and deal with whether, whatever ramifications there are, you know, as a result of that and build the trust back up because you'll see sometimes when we open up, when we reveal things, it breaks trust. It makes a withdrawal. And there's a way to rebuild that that I'll get to in a second. So in our church, um, how would we rate trust in our marriages? Uh, really great to see that most people, um, almost 50% said it's amazing. We have great trust. Uh, 30% additional said trust is good. Um, and only about 20% were like, yeah, man, it's not 20, 21%. It's not really good. Um, we're, we're having trust issues. Um, so we've got an 80-20, which means that as a, as a group, we're pretty healthy. Um, but there are people that are struggling with trust in their relationship. And so here's how, how it goes in life. Relationships often create this environment where there is a gap between your expectation and your experience. You expected this to happen in the relationship, but something different happened. It leaves a gap. That gap is, needs to be filled. It, it, it calls on you to fill that gap. You cannot go beyond that instance, that moment, unless you put something in that gap. The problem is what we choose to put in that gap determines whether our relationship is going to become healthier or whether it's going to become unhealthy, whether it's going to get destroyed or whether it's going to grow. And you are in control of what you put in that gap. That gap is not determined by what happened. That gap is determined by your choice, your decision. And we can, we can do that in a healthy way or we can do that in an unhealthy way. So what's the unhealthy way? What, what breaks relationships or prevents relationships from being able to heal again after trust has been broken? Here, here's the unhealthy thing. If you choose suspicion to fill that gap, you're actually setting that relationship up for destruction. If you choose to put suspicion in that gap. So how does that work? Well, for instance, your husband shows up late from work, an hour late. Suspicion goes, I'm sure he's cheating on me. I'm sure he's cheating on me. 
That's the unhealthy response. You, you immediately expect the worst. You start getting upset for about, before he's even home. By the time he's home, you have experienced a level of trust breach of the magnitude of an earthquake in your life, and you have not even established what happened. So he comes and he's like, well, you know what? I'll, I had a flat tire. Or he said, I ran into X, Y, and Z, and, and we had a conversation. We visited for a little bit. You, however, have progressed so far in your experience and your, 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 your uh, suspicion that you have created what I call a no-win situation. In other words, it doesn't matter what he says in that moment. You're never going to believe him. Because you have progressed so far down that line. You almost, you can almost, you almost, you almost find it impossible to think that all of this was just he ran into an old friend and they visited for a little bit. The same happens when, you know, um, we have other gaps in our, in our experience. Somebody said they would do something. They didn't show up. And immediately you go, well, you know what? They're not really committed. They're not really in this thing. They're not really for us. And you immediately assume that, you know, there is a bad intention on their end and there was a, a wrong committed on their end. This causes you to become a cynic after a while because soon you find yourself unable to believe anything that anybody is saying to you. Here's the truth about our hearts. Our hearts have one door. They don't have a thousand. You don't have a door for this friend and another door for that friend, another door for you know, authorities, another door for the government, another door for... And you don't have another door for God. You have one door. And when you shut that door down, it's shut for everybody. It's not just shut for the person that you feel or suspect have wronged you. You close your heart for anything and everything. And now you cannot ever actually acknowledge any good that comes to you. So what happened? You actually closed the account for deposits. So now nobody can actually put good deposits in your heart. So trust cannot even increase one bit. But what can still happen? Withdrawals can still happen. Withdrawals can still happen. And you know what? When you're suspicious of something, all you're looking for is that thing that confirms what you've always expected. And because your, your emotions get built up so much, when something looks remotely like it, it's like that, that trust fund just drains in an instant. So what I find often happens is when people find themselves in this place, is that they're actually stuck in that place of cynic, cynicism and they cannot get out of it. And so they cannot actually have a, a healthy relationship develop anymore because they have disallowed the option of that. They've said no to recovery. They've gone like, this happened and I don't care what you say, I am not going to believe anything you say any further. If you find yourself in that place, the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that a, a poisonous root of bitterness have gotten hold of your soul. And it's, de it's defiling you. Another translation says troubling you. That's actually a slide, guys. Um, it's a slide. Uh, but not only does it defile you, it actually corrupts people around you as well. Not only does it corrupt people around you because 
of the interaction between you and them, it just corrupts people around you because you can't see no good in nobody. You're suspicious of everybody. And all you can see is the bad of people around you because you have been corrupted like that. You have become a cynic. And no relationship can survive a cynic. Can't. Because cynicism is the absolute antithesis of trust. And if you want to rebuild trust, if you want to rebuild a good relationship, you have to rebuild trust first. So here's the thing though. People are in that situation because of hurt. Something went wrong. And they're just trying to survive. They're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to, 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 to manage the pain most often of things that happened. And the, the bad thing about this is that it's this unhealthy spiral that just plays into each, each other. And it just becomes more unhealthy, more unhealthy, the more you expect the worst and then it gets affirmed and then you expect more bad and then that gets affirmed and with that in place no relationship can ever f- have a have a chance of recovery or even survival cynics pe- keep people at a distance they keep their gar- hearts guarded and they prejudge every person that they meet but you know our relationships go beyond that our relationships are not just with friends or spouses it also includes relationships with our kids or as children with our parents there's trust built and broken between those relationships too and for me it happened like this as a, as a child I, I've always been pretty frugal with money I always used to you know when I get um, birthday money I wouldn't just go spend I would actually save it and so I always had a lot of money on me cash on me um, and uh, I wonder what we're wrong um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, and I would always like, my, my grandfather used to give us a rand for every book we read, uh, a dollar basically for every book that we read. So I would read, man. I would like, you know, and, and he'd test us. All. He'd like, all right, what's the story about? You know, and then he would like, <laughs> double check if we at least have some comprehension of what went on there. Um, and then, so I would, I would accumulate money. I always had money. But what always used to also happen is, because of our financial situation in the house, my parents would always borrow money from me. Ugh. So I would never have really the money in my pocket after a while. I would have it, you know, on a little ledger <laughs> full of IOU. I, I had a little ledger that, you know, with a date and that, that this is how much they, 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 they owe me. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when trust got broken in my heart was one day nobody said anything but I looked at the situation that my household found us in and I realized, or that day, and it might not even have been true, but that day I made the conclusion, you know what, they're never going to give that back to me. They're never going to be able to give my money back. Broke my heart. And you know what, it actually broke something in my relationship with my parents. I could not trust them in certain aspects of, of life after that. It just, it just something just like put a wall between us and, and, and that actually went on and, and, and it put a wall in between me and anybody that wanted to assume leadership over me. That I just couldn't trust them because you took from me and you never gave back. And it took me 
until late in my adult years when I finally realized how big of a wall I had built up in my life towards authority that I would constantly be clashing with leaders and, 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 and you know, just not trusting the calls leaders made. If it didn't go exactly how I saw it went, I was just like, you know what? I'm out. This, you, you're going to mess it up and you know who's going to pay for it? I'm going to pay for it. And I ain't willing to do that no more. Until I realized how and where that root of bitterness was in my heart and I was able to pull that thing out and forgive my parents for that moment. All of a sudden, the ripple domino effect just went. And I started forgiving all authority. And I started having an ability to trust authority again. It's incredible how this affects your whole existence. How have trust actually affected you? Think about that now. If you've ever had trust broken and you never dealt with it correctly, it has the same impact on your life right now that it had on mine. Guaranteed, you're in a position now where you're making decisions based off of broken trust in your past. God wants to heal that. He wants to take that out of your mind and heart so that you can act and do things from a biblical perspective and, and trust God's word. Like Chuck said, actually believe him. But because trust has been broken in so many ways right now, society, it's so difficult to trust things. It's so difficult to trust the government. It's so difficult to trust, you know, law enforcement. It's so difficult to trust so many things. Why? Trust has been broken. But here's the problem. What we've, what have happened is we've not managed that well. And so now we've grown into a society of cynics that don't believe anything that anybody says. Right? And somebody comes with good intention and with truth in their you know, prepared on their little screen here, and they're preaching to you <laughs> things that's supposed to help you, but you just can't receive it because you've got a wall up, because trust has been broken in your life. And until you actually let God take that root of bitterness and disappointment out of your heart and you forgive whoever it was there, I can preach till I'm blue in my face. It's not even going to penetrate your heart. But once the word of God penetrates your heart, it brings life. And that's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for this house. He wants his word to be sown into healthy soil hearts where it can spring up and produce a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold in terms of the, if, uh, the added value to your life. But you can't have that because you're stony hearts. Because that was, that's what happens when we get hurt. We close. We close up. We self-protect. We get stuck in that state of pain. And it's only, when, it's, it's, it's only when, we, when we actually take the risk again to do something about it that we can move beyond. And we can start understanding even why I am so, un, why I'm so reluctant or unwilling to do something that the Bible says or to, 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 to go along with what you know, a particular group is doing. Some of you had bad church experiences before you came to our church. Some of you had bad marriage experiences before you are in the relationship that you are in right now. And here's the sad thing is you're allowing that experience to dictate your conduct in this experience. So that church disappointed me. So I'm just going to attend. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get too stuck in because you know what? 
I know this thing, you know. That church hurt me. That church broke some trust in my heart. And as much as, as, as that, is, that is okay to, to, to acknowledge, and, 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 and I confess the church have done that, this church I've done, we've all broken trust. But somewhere if we're going to see something better come out of it, we need to be willing to come to, together and say, okay, I'm willing to rebuild the trust. Are you willing to allow the relationship to heal? Because if you're not willing, none of my efforts to try and rebuild trust is going to mean anything to you. So I'm saying this to you today, just up front right now. I want to rebuild trust with you guys. In fact, I understand that I'm, a far, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an alien. Just let me push out my antlers real quick. No, I'm just kidding. I come from South Africa. There must be a level there that makes it, okay, well, can I trust this preacher guy? He's not even from here. I understand that. That's okay. But here's what I'm asking. Let me build trust. Are you willing to allow me to build trust with you? Because if you're not, no matter how much I try, all you're going to be watching for is, you know, when he pulls a funny accent again and you didn't understand him. And sure enough, you know, what's that good? What good's that going to be ever? If you're expecting the worst, you're going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy of doom. But hey, what if, what if you said, hey, I'm, I'm willing to, to build trust. I want to tell you that I'm willing to build trust too. What is it going to take? Let's discuss that. Let's have that conversation. Let's just be honest with each other about it. Look, I, I, I find it hard to commit to something because let's talk about marriages. Some of you have had a bad marriage and now you don't want to commit to this, this person. Been with them forever, but you never got married. Why? It's not because of all the reasons that you're giving. No, 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 no. It's broken trust. What if you said yes to having trust re rebuilt and allowing God to bring that marriage back into a place where it's honoring Him and you as a son of God and a daughter of God are able to honor God again with the union that you form with a partner? Don't allow that past hurt to cut off your ability to, to, you know, to follow along with God's path. Trust first in the, Him. But allow that trust to be built. We have to find an antidote to, um, to, to cynicism. Because cynicism is destroying our relationships. It's destroying our ability to trust. Mark 11 gives us the, the shovel for uh, digging up that root of bitterness that, that caused us to become cynics. It says, when you are praying... First, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. And where could be anyone, any church, any workplace, any boss, any colleague, any friend, any parent, any child. First, forgive. First, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins to. Get forgiveness into your heart for a person. Because you can forgive a person without trusting them, but you can never trust a person without first forgiving them. Everything of trust starts, when it was broken, starts back with forgiveness. That's where it needs to start. But you might say, but you know what? I've been, 
My trust has been broken so many times and I've been, my trust has been betrayed so many times over and over. I, I, I can't forgive. No, here, here's what you're missing. The Bible doesn't command us to, to trust people. In fact, it tells us you're kind of stupid to just put your full trust in people. That's what the Bible actually says. But it says you have to forgive people. Because if you don't, you're causing a rift in your relationship with God. You don't want that. So do forgive. But know that just because I forgive somebody for what they did, doesn't mean that I'm needing to trust them in the same level I did before. Because forgiveness is is telling somebody that you're debt free toward me. Forgiveness is you saying, you know what? You don't have to repay me. You don't have to repay. I declare you debt free. But think about this in financial terms. When you say, my debt was forgiven, what does that mean? It means the bank said, oh, you don't have to pay us back. But tomorrow, if you show up with another application for a loan, guess what they're going to say? Denied. (laughs) Because they don't have to trust you again. It's a difference. There's a difference. So you can forgive somebody. It's fine. I forgive you. But but for you to have that same level in my life, now we're going to have to talk about that. Because there are certain things that are going to need to happen before I will be able to see you as trustworthy again. I want to get to how you do that in a second. But you still have to forgive. Some of that... I'm going to have to see certain things happen before I can deem you trustworthy again. Is, is something like this. So say, for instance, trust has been broken. I need to see you upholding a biblical standard in that area of our relationship before I'll be able to go and say, all right, I'm going to allow you back in, in my trust world. listen to the practical side of this so many times people come and over years they've cheated they've done different things within the relationships you know they've just broken trust in the relationship whether it was a marriage or a friendship or whether or whatever it was and then they come to rock bottom breaking point and and they go like all right good we're going to make this right now two things happen number one the person who has been betrayed trust whose trust has been betrayed suddenly finds it hard to say all right i'm gonna i'm gonna allow this relationship to heal they just go i'm done i don't even want this relationship to heal anymore so the person who's trying to heal the relationship then goes like just give me a chance i will prove that i will you know i will change and everything and, and i will do it better i will I will adhere to the demands that you give for this relationship, for me to show you that I am trustworthy again in this relationship. I will adhere to those demands. The party who's been offended often then goes and puts the completely unrealistic demands on the person. No, what needs to happen is that person needs to say, okay, what is biblical for me to expect of this person in order for them to prove that they have changed so that I can trust them again. That's why I say you can put loving, biblical demands on a person 
that wants to restore trust with you. But two things need to be true. You need to be willing to allow that relationship to heal. The person who wants to heal the relationship needs to be willing to start making deposits. Now, you're not going to fix in a month what you, start, what you were breaking over 10 years. And so often people are discouraged. Man, you know, I've been trying to, you know, I've been trying to, you know, just show her that, you know, I'm going to do this, do that. Look, the trust has been broken over more than a decade. Just one month of you doing good isn't going to, <laughs> isn't going to rebuild trust. You're going to have to do something that is so permanent that you start doing it without thinking so that it becomes consistent enough for that person over time to see. But here's the truth. If you don't want that relationship to be healed, no matter what that person does, it's not going to have any effect. So there has to be a decision on both sides to do something different than putting cynicism or suspicion in the gap. The healthy response to building a relationship is to, when there's a gap between the experience, between the expectation and the experience, you have to decide to put trust back in. You have to make a decision. I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try. And then what that does is that, that, actually, that actually shows that you're loving a person. See, the Bible does command us to forgive people and to love people. If I'm unwilling to allow that relationship to heal, I am actually withholding my love from the person. And that is something that God has an issue with. Because if he withheld his love from you, what would happen? So we cannot even think of doing that. We have to be willing to allow a relationship to heal. But there can be conditions that is put in place to help that relationship do what's necessary to rebuild trust so that it can be a healthy, close relationship again. If we choose to fill the gap with trust, we're doing what 1 Corinthians 7, 13 verse 7 says, Love bears all things, regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in everyone, not just expecting what, hopes all things, Remaining steadfast during difficult times and endures all things without weakening. We're choosing to love by allowing a relationship to heal. So when there is a gap between what you have expected and what you see, here's three things that you need to do. The first thing is you need to choose trust by focusing on character and past trustworthiness. Not all relationships start off with a trust break. Many relationships start off with great trust with each other. And the way you protect that good relationship is when there's a gap, you don't immediately go and say, because of past relationships, this one's just going to go the same way. You go, no, 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 I am going to just judge this circumstance based on the individual in front of me. I'm not going to prejudge. I'm going to actually look at this instance and go, this person has been faithful all this time, why would I now all of a sudden think that he's doing something stupid? His character has proven that he's a God-fearing person. How can I just assume out of nowhere with no objective truth in front of me, just there was just a gap 
that I could choose to put suspicion or trust into? How can I just put suspicion if his character and his past trustworthiness directly uh, um, contradicts that, that decision? No, I need to focus on that and say, I'm going to rather trust that I don't understand the situation yet. And I want to trust that all is good, that there is nothing wrong really. That's how you protect a relationship. But see, if you've had past hurts and you haven't dealt with it and you're a cynic by nature, you're not going to be able to do that. And even the healthy relationships that you have are going to have gaps. Gaps are a reality of relationship. It is just a fact of life. And the more you've given in to this whole cynicism thing, the less you're going to be able to put trust into that gap. And the quicker all your relationships are just going to degrade and get destroyed. But God wants you to go and say, all right, there's nothing to tell me that this individual or this institution is going to do the same as the previous one. Because of the character that I've seen in it, because of the trustworthiness of its, its track record, I need to trust that something went wrong that is unexplainable to me right now, but I can't just go off and, and immediately assume the worst. If you can't do this, right, if there has not been a proven track record of character and trustworthiness, right? For you to allow that relationship to not just get destroyed when every time now and then a gap occurs, you have to do something like this. Rather than believing the worst in a situation, you have to try and find something good that you can believe in, in the now, Right? So that you don't just set up the situation for a no-win outcome. Like I said, if that person comes and gives you a legitimate reason for why something happened, then you've already decided, I'm not going to believe that. Because you've expected the worst already in your heart. See, we need to realize that sometimes we judge other people. No, most of the times we judge other people by their actions. But we actually judge ourselves by our intentions. And you can know this quote and still do it. Still be doing it. And here's what happens is, you know, when I do something wrong, I'm appealing to somebody else to recognize and accept my intentions. I'm going like, I know this was wrong. Even if I did do something wrong, I know this was wrong. But listen, there were things outside my control. I'm appealing to you to look at my intentions and judge the situation on my intentions. Well, if I want you to look at my intentions, then I better do the same for you. I can't just go, well, I'm sorry, this happened. And I don't care what reasons you give me, this is what happened. This is, these are the facts. You're judging that person on their actions right now. But just around the corner, you're going to want to appeal to somebody to consider your intentions when things go wrong. We can't operate like that. We have to go like, you know what? This did go wrong. I want to believe that something, that this wasn't your full intent. Therefore, I'm going to find something good, to, uh, some way to believe the best about your intentions. Holding on to that is what covers and what protects relationships from these, these gaps that will occur and will destroy your relationship if you do not guard it, if you do not protect the deposits that have been made. What helps you to do this is that you choose trust by not allowing your emotions to rule the moment. 
You see, we, we get triggered in our, in, our, in our emotions based off of tender areas in our hearts. And those tender areas are from past pain and disappointments and instances where trust was broken. But what needs to happen is you need to, you need to make sure that your emotions don't run away with you so far that you're unable to get control of yourself when you're obviously proven wrong in the instance that that was not the intention or that was not even factually true that what happened. So when a gap occurs and you're allowed to put suspicion in there, you need to reject suspicion. You need to go, uh-uh, uh-uh. Even if something did go wrong, I am going to control my emotions and allow the truth to come out first before I start making assumptions, conclusions, and decisions on what need to happen next. That way you can control and you can guard the current level of trust that there is and allow for, a, for an explanation that will show you, hey, I did not make a withdrawal right now. And in fact, that could be, an, uh, that could be a deposit. The moment of, 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 of uncertainty can be can be turned around, and it can become a relationship builder instead. See, God wants us to have good relationships with people. God wants us to have good relationships with, 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 with you know, institutions and organizations, <clears throat> like, your, like your workplace. He doesn't want you to judge your current workplace based on your experience at the previous one. And so often when something looks similar, it's like, knee-jerk reaction, you just go all the way there and you know, I better just resign because you know, that guy said something similar than the other boss said and I'm sure that that's where that's going to end up anyways. And you lose an awesome opportunity with a great employment situation just because of something that you misread. That's how real these things affect us and end up destroying our lives. But the worst of it all is when you allow this to come in between you and the Lord. You see, I've seen people come from other churches into this church, but, but having been so hurt at the other church, it's been so difficult for them to just trust and fully, fully go all in to hear. But let me tell this, let me say this to you. I've had many conversations with, with quite a few of our leaders who are all in, yet they've had experiences in previous churches and with previous leaders that have left them with a low trust level. And what I did was the first thing I said to them, how do we how, how do we do this you being in this church being involved here how do we do it in a healthy way? What I was actually saying was how do I build trust with you? How do I show you I want more for you than I want from you? How do I do that? And we did. We said, look I can't do these and these and these things right now. This is all I can do. I said, all right, I won't ask more of you then. I need you to get involved. I need you to, to find out what it means to be a part of spiritual family. Because that's where you'll also find a lot of health and growth. But, but, if, but if, if you're not going to open up that, that possibility for a relationship to, to, to develop trust... No matter how many times I appeal to you, it's not going to do much. But that's what we do here. We build trust. And when trust is broken, we do something to rebuild it. What do we do to rebuild trust? Here's what we do to rebuild trust. And before I say that, you need to understand that there, there is an important perspective that Christians need to start, get, to start getting. 
There's three things that happen when relationships go through strain. The first thing is there needs to be a I am sorry. The second thing is there needs to be forgiveness. The third thing is there needs to be repentance and then what comes beyond that. But let me just say this. These three things are not the same thing. Christians treat this as just it's all the same. It's not. And you know this because you know I'm sorry doesn't fix trust in a relationship. There's something more that needs to happen before trust gets rebuilt. So just saying I'm sorry doesn't work. So that means it can't be the same as forgiveness. And, it, and, and even if I've offered forgiveness, it doesn't mean that I'm going to trust you again. So that means forgiveness cannot be the same as actual repentance and making things right, restitution. We need to recognize that these things are different things. When you say you're sorry, that's all you're doing. You're recognizing that it was wrong and that it hurt somebody. That's all. That was not asking for forgiveness. So let me say this to you. If you want somebody to forgive you, ask the right question. You've hurt somebody. Don't go say, I'm sorry. You go ask them, will you please forgive me? That's the only question that will get you the response that you require. Saying you're sorry does not require a response. The person can go, okay, you're sorry. So what? I'm still broken. But when you go, please forgive me. You're, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in that person's hands. You're entrusting yourself to them. You're saying, will you forgive me? Now the person needs to make a decision. How am I going to treat this relationship from here on? I'm sorry produces nothing for the relationship. Forgiveness is the start of it. Don't ever just say I'm sorry again when you did something wrong. It's meaningless. If you're really sorry you will ask forgiveness. And then if that person extends forgiveness to you, what's your response? Thank you. How can I make it up to you? If I, if I lend something to you, call it lawnmower for lack of a better thought right now. You end up running my lawnmower into a ditch and you break the fender off and your know, axle's bent and all that. You put it on a trailer, you bring it back to my yard. It's like, hey man, I'm so sorry. I ran the lawnmower into a ditch and I bent it. You drop it off and you leave. What? <laughs> no. No, that's not cool. You can come and say, hey man, I, I'm just so sorry, man. I hope you can forgive me. I broke your lawnmower. And I can go, you know what? It's okay. It's an old lawnmower anyways. I was going to buy a new one. You don't have to do nothing. It's fine. But if you come to me with a broken lawnmower, you better come prepared to offer to fix that thing. <laughs> or else here's what's going to happen. When I do buy my new lawnmower and you come to me, hey, Jake, can I borrow your lawnmower? Denied. I ain't trusting you again with a lawnmower. But if you came with that old broken down thing and you said to me, look, I broke this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. And in fact, what would be better if you just went out and fixed it and came back and said, hey, I broke this, but I did when God and fixed it and now, now it's fixed. Here, here you go. 
But if you, even if you just go and it's like, hey, I broke it, I can't fix it right now, but can I fix it next month? I go, hey, man, that's great, thank you. Fix it, I run it a couple of times, it's fixed, but you know what, I'm tired of the old thing, I go buy a new lawnmower. Next time you come to me, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? I'm like, yeah, okay. I know you're good for it. That's how you mend relationships in real life. If you did something wrong, you come offer to fix it. And you don't make the terms of fixing. You come and say, I broke trust with you. How can I rebuild trust? That's where repentance comes in. And so if you want to really rebuild trust, here's how you rebuild trust. You rebuild trust by repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance is not asking forgiveness. Repentance is changing the way you did things. So now it's done in a way that honors the person that you're in a relationship with. That's repentance. It's a 180. It's I'm not doing this no more like this. I'm doing it the way that honors you. And so that person gets to put those loving, realistic, biblical demands on you. Say, you need to show me that you can do this. Like the Bible says it before I'm going to be willing to trust you. If we're Christians, obviously. And you, the one that broke the trust, you can go like, oh, man, oh, oh, come on, man. You, you just go, thank you for giving me the opportunity to rebuild what I broke. And then you go and do it. Now, here's the trick. You can't just do it for a month. You can't just do it for a year. You can't just do it for a decade. You have to change so that this is the way you do it. Period. That's what repentance is. So you add to your repentance some consistency. You add to your consistency longevity. Now you're on the path of rebuilding trust. Now when that happens again, hopefully it doesn't, you've got a track record of, of building up that hopefully you've put in again enough for that person to go, I'll give you another chance. But if that keeps happening, you better know that that's not going to last. And that's why the consistency needs to be there. And consistency leads to longevity, that you stay with it for, for, forever. That means that you can't just try and do something to avert the consequences that you're facing. You have to actually start living it different so that you become somebody different. That's going to heal the relationship. And you would expect that of anybody else. Why not be willing for it to be expected of you when you've broken trust? But that's how it happens. And so if we're going to have great relationships, if we're going to trust one another as a church, if we're going to trust one another in our marriages, we're going to have to let God define that marriage. And if there was trust broken, we're going to have to come to the party. and say, I'm willing to let it be rebuilt. I'm willing to rebuild it. You can take a, a wrecking ball and smash it into a wall and it's in smithereens in an instant. But rebuilding that wall is going to happen brick by brick. No matter how agonizing it is, it's the only way to rebuild that wall is to put one brick on top of the other and have the vision that one day there's going to be a whole, whole house here again. But if you're not willing to put one brick on top of the other, and when you're tired, and when you're frustrated, and when there is no acknowledgement of the couple of bricks that you put up, you just keep quiet, 
Keep putting bricks up. Keep putting bricks up. It's the only way. But if you do that soon, it's like, oh, wow, there's half a wall again. My goodness, the windows are in. Dude, that's awesome. It picks up momentum as you put consistency to it. But that's the only way. So here's what I'm asking you. Where has trust been broken in your life? What has broken trust in your life? Was, was it parents? Was it the church? Was it your workplace, a boss, a friend, a colleague, your spouse? Your job is to go and figure out where that broken trust is. Because in those, in those places of broken trust lies a hurt that have formed bitterness that re- results in cynicism that, that then affects every relationship around you. But go and digging that out and say, all right, Lord, I remember when that happened to me. Holy Spirit, help me to forgive that person. I forgive my folks. I forgive my dad. I forgive my boss. I set them free. They don't have to say to me that they're sorry. They don't even, I don't even have to talk to them about it. Sometimes when you find yourself unable to get over something, it's necessary to go to that person. If it's a relationship that you're currently in, you have to go to that person. Say, hey, remember that time when that happened? You know, you brought back that lawnmower and, you know, you broken. You know what, that really broke trust in our relationship. I wish that you'd have at least offered to fix it, but you didn't. That hurt me, man. You think you... I just want you to know that, that that's the reason why I've kind of been standoffish toward you. But I don't want it to be like that. But if you're willing to talk about this, then you know, we can grow back to that close friendship that we used to have. I want that. But I just know it's not going to happen un- until we've had this conversation. Are you willing to have this conversation? Dude, you know what? That's been riding me. I wish that I fixed that thing. But after a while, I just thought, oh, you know, he didn't say anything about it. He's probably too mad already to. So I just gave up on it anyways. No, let's not go with those assumptions. Let's not put the suspicion and the doubt in those gaps. Let's say, hey, I know I offended that person there. Maybe I should just go and tell them that, you know what, I, I offended you there. I feel like I offended you there. I want to say I'm sorry. How can I make it up to you? Guys, if we do that, we're going to have an entirely different community among ourselves. You're going to have an entirely different marriage. Your relationships, your friendships are going to grow so healthy and so good. It's going to be life-giving to you. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. But you know what? Jeremiah 17 verse 5 says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Here's what happens. When we, when we put our trust in humans, and I'm not talking about trusting humans, but there's a difference between trusting, building trust, and just, just putting our trust in people and turning our hearts away from the Lord, then getting disappointed as a result because people are going to break trust. What does that result in? Now I have got issues with the Lord. And all of my brokenness amongst men is portrayed onto my relationship with God. And I'm like, God, why did you allow this? God, why is this going on? God, why, 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 why? God wants us to heal so that we're also able to fully trust Him, fully believe Him, and walk in His ideas, implement His 
culture in our lives. So I want to pray for you today. The gospel is the, the, the relentless promise of God's love and His forgiveness. It's like it heals us. And God can heal your relationships so that you can again trust Him fully and walk and do the things that He guides and advises us do in His Word. So if you'll be willing to pray with me right now, I want to pray over us, this over us. Let's all stand. And if that's you, I want you to be serious in your, in your prayer toward God right now. Just acknowledge the areas where you have, where trust have been broken with you. I want you to go ahead right now and just release those people. Just declare them debt free. They don't owe you. I'm sorry. They don't owe you anything back. Just release them. Right now, forgive them in the name of Jesus. Some of you are thinking, well, well I'm never going to get back what I lost. Not from him, no. Or though, them. But God will restore you. If you forgive them, God is allowed back into your situation. You not forgiving them is you trying to control the situation. And that literally means God takes his hands out of the situation. Put, forgive the person and allow Jesus to take control of the situation. He can restore you. And right now where you are, just make a decision, a decision in your heart. That if it comes to it, that you will allow that relationship to heal. That you will allow more trust deposits to take place. That you will start believing the best again. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We want to humble ourselves because we know that when we look at the soldiers that nailed you to the cross, and we look at our hand, we see that same hammer. And we realize it's us all along, Lord. We put you on the cross. I put you on the cross. My sin put you on the cross. Help us to not judge other people by their actions and ourselves by our intentions, Lord. Help us to decide to risk again by putting trust back in. Help us to have the conversations that determine the terms for rebuilding trust. Help us, Lord, to get healed of our past hurts and churches and, and workplaces that have prevented us from just obeying your word where we are now. Help us to take the right decisions from here moving forward and be willing to rebuild trust, being willing to forgive and be willing to heal our relationships. We pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. How's that feel? Come on. More of that will happen as you go and identify more things. Forgive. And uh, make a decision to put trust back in. Allow relationships to be healed. But take steps to heal those relationships. If you need to talk about it, if you need to come as a couple and talk about it and kind of just have an external point of view on you know, what should be those loving demands, 
that, that ask of a person to consistently live out a gospel principle, a biblical principle for trust to be real. Let's talk through that. Sometimes the, the best thing is to just have an have a external voice that just says, whoa, 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 that's unrealistic. No, 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 that's never going to happen. You're putting him up for failure. You're, you're never going to allow her to succeed. Let's look at what the Bible says and let's try X, Y, and Z. Because that will in turn show you internal changes happening. Character is growing. Sometimes you just need that conversation once. And then after that, you, you're able to kind of manage it yourself and go forward from there. We're here. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. We want to help you to get your relationships healthy. Um, but that too was going to take a, a level of you trusting us to you know, have that conversation. So my question is, what would you like me to do to rebuild trust, to build trust with you so that you will have that conversation with me? I'm willing to do that. Let's talk about that. I can't, I can't know until, until you tell me. So I'm open. I'm here. I'm waiting for those conversations. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to have them.